0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, how is the federal assistance package announced yesterday going to impact Canadians? MP and Labor Minister Philomena Tassi joins us to talk about that. Hamilton Mayor and the Director of Emergency Operations took questions at a virtual town hall yesterday. Find out what Hamiltons were talking about, about what's happening right now with the coronavirus problems. And could COVID-19 have an impact on employment? It certainly can. We're going to talk with an employment lawyer about some of the concerns that many of you have. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. A number of new initiatives announced yesterday by the federal government uh, to try to deal with the impact of what's been happening. Uh, Joining us to talk about this is, uh, well, the MP for Hamilton West, Ancaster, Dundas, and also the Labor Minister for the Trudeau government. Philomena Tassi joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show uh, to bring us up to speed on what's going on. Busy time for you, Philomena. Thanks so much for taking some time for us today.
1: Thank you, Bill, for the opportunity. Greatly appreciate it. Well,
0: let's talk about this. We know about the concerns, and I know you probably heard of many of them from your office about what's, how is this impacting people. Talk to us about the initiatives that the Prime Minister and the Finance Minister talked about yesterday and how this is going to impact the people that are, are being put out in, in these circumstances.
1: Very happy to do that, Bill, and to have the opportunity to do that before I do, if I may, I just want to say how uh, proud and happy I am uh, with Hamiltonians. The Hamilton citizens have been absolutely fantastic um, you know when we hear stories about Restaurants who are facing closure or, you know, having to uh, limit themselves to take out, going and taking their produce and delivering it to food banks, uh, landlords who are having tenants that are impacted, forgiving rents, uh, young people uh, doing grocery shopping for seniors, and uh, grocery stores that are having special hours for seniors to go and shop. Like these initiatives are absolutely fantastic and inspiring, and I want to thank. Uh, Hamilton citizens for really stepping up here and showing fantastic compassion, support uh, as we face a, a very challenging time. And so um, now I'll launch into to our government. And, and if I may, before the actual uh, measures that we've taken, I just want to set the tone here. Our government has taken this very seriously from the d- beginning. And we've made it very clear that we are taking an evidence-based approach science-based approach to this. So we have worked very closely with the Public Health Agency of Canada and the Chief Public Health Officer, Dr. Tam, and we know there's chief uh, medical officers across the country that are dialoguing. And so measures that we are implementing, measures we are taking, the approach we are taking is very much influenced by this data. Because we want to ensure at the end of the day, the number one one priority is to keep Canadians safe. And so the protocols that are being suggested, the washing of the hands, the social distancing, the coughing into the elbows, when you're going to travel and, you know, using public transit, try and use off times, all these measures are very, very important. And this is the best way to contain. If each of us take these measures seriously and live by them the containment is going to be limited and this is really important So um, I know that Hamiltonians are listening very closely to these measures, and uh, you can feel it right in the streets. It's not as busy as it normally is. And so uh, just to continue to adhere to these is extremely
0: important. Well, and there's always going to be a couple of rotten apples, but I mean, we've seen this time and time again when there are uh, crises situations like this. Uh, So many people do step up and try to show some initiatives, and uh, the the hoarding incidents and everything that we've been experiencing, are are, that's the minority, obviously. Uh, The majority People, I think, are getting it, and and I got to tell you, because I mentioned this on the show the last couple of days, Philomena, what I've been impressed with about what the Prime Minister has done, and frankly, what Premier Ford has done as well, which surprised an awful lot of people, is they're basing their policies on medical evidence and and public self and public health, health evidence. Uh, they're not trying to be political about this. They're listening to the people who know better than them and, and developing policies, which is the way it should be. Because not all not all politicians are doing that
1: right absolutely and so we want to be very clear that that the measures that we are taking are um, based on evidence based on science uh, dialoguing with medical professionals across the country to ensure that all our actions are conducive to reducing containing the spread of this and um, and you know we have populations that may be more vulnerable like seniors And as previously uh, holding the portfolio as Minister of Seniors, very, very important to me that we get that information out so that people can follow. They can practice the the, the social distancing. They can be washing their hands way more regularly. And I have to say, Bill, it's challenging because we know that when we meet people, you know, the first thing we want to do, if there's someone that's close, we want to embrace we want to shake hands. That's our nature. And so to combat that is not easy, but we all have to be um, taking that that second step and thought and say, okay, wait a minute, I have to fight my normal tendency to reach out, to embrace, to show, you know, love and and support for people or uh, just a natural tendency that's within us. It's ingrained. So I know it's not easy, but when you recognize the importance of this, really important that we follow that. So now moving, if I, if I may, if I move to some of the measures, and um, again, these measures have been um, informed, as, as you have commented too, about the importance of the science, um, and really taking a collaborative approach. So a- about a week ago, we announced a $1 billion investment. 500 million of that was going to provinces and territories and that was to help provinces and territories purchase supplies and and provide the health care and supports that they needed in each of the province and territory that they are in to uh, help contain the spread of this and in addition to that we um we also announced waiving the one week waiting period For entitlement to employment insurance, I don't know if you'll recall, Bill, but our government previously it was a two-week waiting Mm -hmm. period. We passed legislation that said, okay, we're going to reduce that to one week. But now with COVID, we've actually reduced that and and waived the one-week waiting period. And then the other measure doesn't get talked about a lot, but I think it's an important one for businesses to know: is it's the workshare program. So this is a program where businesses are feeling that they need to reduce the number of hours for employees Um, there's an ei program that will support those employers so that they can have their employees work more time through contributions that the federal government has made and in that particular program it was increasing the program from 36 weeks uh, sorry, to 76 weeks. It was a doubling of the program. I, w- I want to say 72, but it was, it was 76 uh, weeks. So that was uh, something that was implemented um, last week. Now, we know, and we're hearing this over and over again, and it is very true, that this is an ongoing Uh, evolving situation. So we are responding as the situation evolves. And it doesn't mean that we're prepared. Listen, we're taking all the evidence, all the information, and um, proactively getting that information, but responding as things develop in a prepared fashion. And so uh, the $82 billion yesterday was announced, and $27 billion goes to supporting workers and businesses, and $55 billion in tax deferrals. So let me say the priorities overall before I dive into what, the, what those supports look like. There's three priorities. The first is we want to keep people healthy. The second is we want to keep people employed and give them the support they need. And the third is we want to support businesses. We know that a lot of business owners, uh, particularly small business owners, you know, these are businesses that are the heart and soul of communities. Uh, Some of these businesses have been passed down to uh, to the children. They've existed for generations. We need to ensure that we are offering supports to all people. And that's what the $82 billion uh, support package that was announced yesterday focuses on. So, so let me, because
0: the main yes. question, and I know the prime minister raised this yesterday, uh, and, and you're going to hear this an awful lot in the days and weeks ahead, is how quickly can you get this, these packages out the door? Because people are saying, "Look, we need this yesterday."
1: Yes. So, so the House leaders have been working together. You know that for these initiatives, it it uh, requires legislation to be passed, and so what that means is we have to go back to the House and we have to pass that legislation. So the House leaders are now. Uh, working on that, the process is this the house leaders tell the speaker the speaker then has forty eight hours to notify uh, MPs to come back and what we have done in the motion before we left uh, and the standing orders provide that you don't need all members because we don't want all members going back to the House of Commons it it sort of defies exactly the the issue we have in terms of what we're recommending people do, which is you know avoid travel if you can. so there is a provision that allows uh, for quorum, a smaller number. I believe it's 20 or 25. MPs. Yeah,
0: that's what the Ontario legislature was doing today uh, with the legislation they want to pass. I think it's 20 members that they're going to have. Uh, and they spread them out through the, the hall, obviously, because of the separation issues.
1: Exactly, and and the idea here would be to try and get MPs that are closest to to uh, Ottawa to go back so that you don 't have MPs that are traveling unnecessarily that don 't have to travel so and the, and the goal would be to try and get this legislation passed as quickly as possible, following the processes that are there and it's, and that it, it may sound like a long time it 's not a long time so what happens now is the House leaders go to the speaker, the speaker then gives the notice then the, then uh, Parliament is convened again and technically the passing of the legislation could happen in a day if in fact we have support with the senate with the opposition parties we can have that legislation passed in one day and so that would be the uh... the goal here and the collaborative approach is really really important and i want to say that uh... i believe that the collaboration has been strong i am reaching out to my provincial and territorial partners And they have been very supportive. Um, They are very happy with the package that was announced yesterday. They think that that measure was important because it addresses people that are falling through the cracks. So, you know, for uh, example, employment insurance workers, um, they're they're entitled to EI benefits and the one-week waiting period has been waived. But what about other workers that don't qualify for EI? What about parents that have to stay home with children, who uh, are now not in schools? Um, what about uh, pa- uh, people my age that have to stay home and look after parents that are that are uh, suffering symptoms or uh, suffering COVID?
0: Well, one of the so, other ones that we've heard from, an, uh, of course, are the self-employed. You know what happens in their situations too, and because they, they're going to take a hit just like everyone else is.
1: Exactly. The self-employed, as well as, and I'm very w- aware of this, with the new gig economy, employment looks very different. You know that. There are young people that, in our day, we, we, we well, we occupy one or two jobs in our lifetime, right? My father worked in steel his whole life. Um, you know, with us, maybe one or two jobs. Young people now, it's very, very different. Work is precarious. They're working on digital platforms. The working relationships are different. And part of my portfolio and my mandate letter is to put my attention to the, the gig economy and this new way of working, digital platforms and the like, to ensure that all workers are protected. Well, in this package... All workers are protected because the two measures that we've introduced, the emergency care benefit and the emergency support benefit, will assist all those individuals that I've just named and provide support for those so that um, they can get some protection. We know, Bill, most Canadians, they're living paycheck to paycheck. And we want to be able to provide the support, which goes back to your question, which is really important. How do we get the money flowing? And I want to assure your listeners, we are doing everything we possibly can as quickly as we can, and we are working collaboratively in order to deliver those uh, supports to the people that need it most.
0: We're just uh, tight on time here, Philomena, but uh, as, as we watched yesterday, both uh, the Prime Minister and, of course, Finance, Mr. M- uh, Morneau, Uh, It's a lot to swallow here. Uh, Where can people get information? Is are there things that are posted right now so they can digest this? And I don't know if everybody wants to read the whole thing, but I mean there are going to be segments of this that are going to be very, very germane to their particular situation.
1: Yes. So there will be, and it's one thing we are very aware of. In order for people to access benefits, they have to have the information, and so we will be providing that information putting it out on uh, websites um, I know that I'm working with my uh, labor leaders and union leaders they have agreed to help in order to get information out there members of parliament and offices you can contact them my whole team is at home but they're working from home because that's the provision mm-hmm. um, and so we want to you know uh, have people safe but we're answering the phone calls answering emails and I will have information available on my Facebook that will direct people. To various opportunities uh, that are that are uh, uh, available in terms of getting the money and the supports that are needed, and there's a lot of things, Bill. I know time is short that we didn't mention, but there's things like you know a 25% for seniors, a 25% RIF mandatory uh, reduction in the mandatory withdrawals for RIFs. Uh, if you have mortgages with CMHC, there's a six-month deferral period. Uh, for those gig economy workers uh, and, and seniors as well, a top-up on the GST if you're entitled to GST, Canada Child Benefit boosts, uh, Canada Student Loan 6 months grace period. So there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot in this package. I know it's a lot for people to swallow. I'm going to do the best I can with my uh, social media and my Facebook to ensure that all that information is out there uh, because we want Canadians that are entitled to benefits to be receiving those benefits.
0: Absolutely. We're going to get a lot more questions as people get to little bits and tidbits of this information, so I know we're going to be talking again soon down the line. Uh, Philomena, thanks so much for this, and uh, stay healthy.
1: Thank you, Bill. And uh, all your listeners, keep up the great work. Um, Thank you for all that you're doing.
0: Thank you. uh, Labor Minister Philomena Tassi. Uh, And, of course, uh, the Prime Minister, uh, her boss, uh, will be giving us an update at 11 o'clock this morning about next steps for the federal government. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. It's uh, difficult sometimes because we're so surrounded by information and, in some cases, misinformation about what's going on with COVID-19. Uh, and it can be a little distressing, obviously, when we hear statistics. Uh, CNN last night. Uh, there's one expert on that was talking about uh, the impact it's having on Madrid in Spain, and uh, the uh, prediction uh, and the mathematical equation. They said that there that 80 percent, eight out of every ten people in Madrid are going to be impacted by COVID-19, uh, and which sounds dis- disturbing, and it is to be sure. But he said, look at the overwhelming majority of those are just going to be mild symptoms, and uh, but there will be people that are going to be seriously impacted, which is why. The pressure is on municipalities, because that's where we live, uh, to try to do something about this. We've talked about the federal government policies and provincials, and those are great. Those are absolutely necessary, but uh, it's what's going on in our neighborhoods. Uh, that we really need to be cognizant of because with the, the, the demand right now for social dis- distancing and staying away and, and isolation, uh, it's important that cities are on side with that. Well, there was a town hall meeting at City Hall last night that talked about, first of all, people's concerns and also some of the city initiatives and programs that are going to be put in place. Paul Johnson is the director of our Emergency Services Center here in the city of Hamilton, and he joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about uh, last night and what we're going to do f- uh, going forward. Uh, Paul, thanks so much for the time today. How you been today?
2: I'm doing okay, Bill. Thanks very much, and a uh, pleasure to be on the show.
0: Well, it's great to have you here because, I mean, there's an awful lot of, of concern here, uh, and we've heard about federal and provincial, but uh, the city has been very, very active in uh, revising programs, I guess, and, and, and looking at ways to try to deal with some of this. Uh, what, what, first of all, what did you hear last night?
2: Uh, well, we heard on the the virtual town hall a lot of the questions that are uh, important to people. How, how can I best... Uh, exercise this social distancing while living my life Uh, we need to get out and shop for food we need some people need to get to work Uh, we want to you know continue to uh, to do certain things in our life and what does that mean with this real call for us to isolate really isolate ourselves and I understand the self-isolation has a whole different meaning but really isolate ourselves from all of that social contact and so there's a lot of concern about that what do I do if I do start to feel sick and where do I go for that information and how best to get some some treatment and what I loved is a lot of people are asking about how is the city taking care of the most vulnerable how are we supporting uh, those people that do have to come to work every day you know our emergency services our critical infrastructure services of the city and people want to know that we're doing what we can to keep people safe and and I think that that's a a good spirit in the community but you know bill we're in a we're in a situation that we've never experienced before and yes sars yes h1n1 had us do a number of things around planning but nothing to this scale and in terms of the emergency response of the city of hamilton we have never had an activation and never had a response uh, of this nature uh, through all of the things that we've experienced as a community in the past
0: and that's one of the things that – the challenges, I guess, that you're facing is uh, this is all new. I mean, as you say, there was a plan in place because, I mean, I, I I told you years ago when I was on council – well, you know this, Paul. Uh, as a member of council, I sat in on a number of those sessions, and they were mock disasters that were there. And it was, okay, how would we do this? How would we do this? And uh, they were very instructive uh, for staff to be able to handle this. So when something came along – and it did in our case. It was nine eleven. Uh, they knew how to respond and who to uh, engage with, and 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 who to put there and put here, etc., like this. So there, there was a plan, but boy, you don't know exactly how it's going to work or how impactful it's going to be until you're actually doing it, do you?
2: No, we don't. And you know, the good news is we do train. The good news is the city of Hamilton and I, you know, give council a lot of credit. They've invested in a state-of-the-art emergency operations center. They've invested in, in people to keep our training up-to-date and ensure that the, the leaders who need to be at an, at an EOC at any time are, are well-trained. And you know what? Last Thursday, uh, it's been you know, one week since we fully activated, and um, uh, you know it, it's been good to watch that training kick in. The implementation is a whole other thing. Uh, Until you actually have to implement some of these things, tabletop exercises and mock exercises, uh, just just don't get you where you need to go. And so we've been doing what we can, taking information uh, from our local health officials, the provincial and federal health officials, and really trying to react in as quick a way as we can to, to new emerging information. And so what people saw is us take... Uh, immediate first steps to limit the opportunities for people to come together and gather in groups that means cancellation of recreation programs closing of libraries and things along those lines and then of course taking the final step to say really uh, all of those non-essential services were closing to the public and also uh, uh having our staff uh, not be in the office and as of yesterday we're down to only 15 percent of our workforce are in any of our city facilities and those are people that need to be there uh, to deliver uh, critical programs and we'll continue to look at how we respect the uh, the, the health commentary which is people need to be at home uh, stay at home travel as little as possible so the balance for us as a municipality is what do we need to do that's, that's essential. Uh, we today, of course, have our full staffing uh, group at our two long-term care facilities providing care to, to those who are very very vulnerable. Our fire police and paramedics are on the road. Our water system is safe. We're doing the things that uh, that we need to do to keep Hamiltonians safe and trying to find new ways to deliver services uh, without the ability to have municipal service centers in every area of the city, without having recreation centers and libraries. So... You know, the fact that we've moved to online services, the fact that we have uh, you know, a creative team here looking at how we can continue to deliver services is, uh, is a bit inspiring, but at the same time, you know, we are we are doing a lot of things without the full playbook here.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, you're also uh, calling audibles as you go along too. If I can continue the football analogy there, Paul, yeah. uh, and and the, maybe the best example of that, as I know that a couple of days ago there was a great deal of concern raised, uh, but in the community, what uh, homeless people and what's going to happen with them? Well, you've you found a plan for that. I mean, you know, step one was yes, the rec centers and everything are closed. Step B, me hey, maybe we can use that to solve this problem. And and again, thinking outside the box
2: yeah it it is, and you know our our mantra very much is uh work the problem and uh and come up with these creative solutions and what's also wonderful is that we have a community that's willing to step up and help out the shelter health network for instance uh, so these are are, our physicians that are helping us alongside our shelter providers and our, our homeless service providers are all working together with our staff to say here's what the best evidence is about how we can do things and quite frankly even from what we announced it's tweaking and changing a little bit not because we can't do it but because we've actually found even better solutions things coming to the table yesterday about the ability to do rapid Testing for homeless individuals, which is great because once we know, uh, you know, if, if they are a positive case for COVID 19, then we can work the next step, which is how do we get them into real. Uh, isolation and also wrap health care supports around around folks who may be experiencing homelessness. Some individuals who are homeless uh, do have underlying health issues, which make them very vulnerable to, to COVID-19. They are not in the category of people that are likely to get uh, you know mild symptoms and, and sort of recover in three to five days. These are folks for whom this could be a very serious uh, illness and, and perhaps requiring hospitalization. So, uh, yes, uh, we just keep working through uh, a number of these issues as it goes. Another one i 'll talk about is transit is an essential service mm-hmm. to people moving across the city uh in order to keep it reliable we've done We've done certain things around scheduling, but the other thing we implemented yesterday is to keep our drivers safe and to stop that pass by traffic of people every time we we hit a stop uh we're boarding from the rear uh it means we're not collecting fares and so I was hey, free transit. Well, the reality is, those are the calls you have to make, and and the safety of our drivers and the ability to social distance uh, while keeping transit going is, quite frankly, far more important than the revenue that we'll lose over this period of time. And those are the kinds of things that we talk about here at the at the EOC. And we understand every one of these decisions. You know, a has, has it has multiple impacts, which we have to to define. But the other piece is is uh, we are not spending a lot of time, uh, uh, you know, worrying about perfection. We are we are making what we. are the best decisions given the inputs we have and uh, trying to make that happen and you know we talk about the things that are about curtailing activities the other thing is yesterday we 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 sat around and talked a little bit about our waste transfer stations and our community recycling centers which are closed at the moment we're going to try and get those opened up there's very little interaction we're going to make them safe for our workers but the reality is a lot of residents said, hey, I'd like to really be able to take some of the garbage. I guess people are starting their spring cleaning early. And you know what? If we can support that safely, let's do it. So those are the kinds of things that we do each and every day. Uh, but our focus, of course, is is the safety of the community first and foremost. And I also understand just how hard this is for uh, for many people. Um, It was heartbreaking when we got the order from the ministry uh, to absolutely limit the visits to long-term care facilities. We know how much people want to get in and see their loved ones, but the reality is to keep those very vulnerable people safe, we have to follow those rules. And and these are these really heart-wrenching moments, Bill, of of the decisions. And I know people are concerned about wages, they're concerned about how they're going to do this and that, and, um, you know, we feel that too in our decision-making every day here.
0: How do you balance uh, the, the the desire and the need uh, for obviously, you know, as you say, the the best interest of the the health, the public health of this community, and at the same time that there are concerns about uh, about you know public safety that go on here, too. Uh, It's a difficult balance because, obviously, you've got to concern yourself with, okay, there's going to be fewer people on the streets, Uh, there's going to be less bus service, and people are going to complain, and I already got complaints about that, and I'm sure you did, but, I mean, that's, that's simple math. I mean, just I can look at Maine and Longwood right here, Paul, and say there's just not much traffic out here, and it's not because of March break. It's because nobody's going anywhere. It's not because they've left town. Uh, but at the same time, you have to deal with the results of some of these actions. And uh, uh, it, it underscores, I think, um, and I'm glad you brought it up, the uh, the role that frontline people play here, the uh, police, fire, emergency services, and, of course, paramedics and people of that nature who are still on the job. And, as a matter of fact, probably more on the job than they were before because of the pressure that's on them.
2: Yeah, and, you know, we balance some of that by listening very closely to uh, uh to the work of the front line uh, our union leadership and our management to say you know what is the best balance here and, and transit let's use that as a great example uh... we're not curtailing uh, service because you know uh, there's less people using it we'd love to be able to provide that we looked at our staffing model and the reality is that, that we had a number of people traveling. Bus drivers are not things where I can reallocate a, a rec worker and and put them behind the wheel of a bus. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very specialized uh, service. So when we're down people, we don't have people to backfill. And our projections are that maybe for the next two weeks we're going to have a shortage of drivers because of self-isolation issues and others so we made the decision to say let's have a reliable system rather than a haphazard system and you know what if we find out that our projections on the staffing uh, are off uh, we'll we'll augment and enhance and get back to the service levels and i think those are those balanced questions that we have our paramedics for instance um, uh, when they go out to calls their dispatch is providing them information when they can when they feel that there's a potential uh, for a call for paramedics to be with somebody who's exhibiting symptoms of coronavirus uh, we are fully protected and, and our staff have been trained and fitted for all of the personal protective equipment they need to do that job well. So safety is, is a job one, but the other thing is we, we want to make sure we keep this community moving, and I don't mean literally through transit, although we're doing that. Uh, things like yesterday talking about, we've got to make sure that we can continue to get out to construction sites, do the inspections we need to do to keep construction going and keep the economy moving. Uh, yes, we had to shut down bars and restaurants and theaters and those types of things, but how do we encourage the community to continue to, to invest as much as they can in our local businesses? So we, we turn our, our attention to that because it's one thing to shut everything down. But the unintended consequence of that, of course, is that uh, we're we're going to be facing a, an economic challenge very quickly if we don't do some other things to keep this economy moving.
0: Well, and we tend to forget that because if it's not right in front of us, you tend to forget about the fact that you know we, as you mentioned, a lot of things have been shut down, and some services, of course, have been put on hold for this. But there are life does go on for some people, and they, they still have to work, which means that some of the city employees are still going to have to be out there. I mean, they they can, you know, practice isolation policies all they want, but at some point, you know, as you say, there's. There's got to be inspections that have to be done. There's a number of things that have to be done. And uh, it's got to be a little a little tight, I think, and, and probably a little daunting for some of the staff to be out there, knowing that they should actually have that social dist- distraction that's going on, but at the same time knowing that, look, at, I've got to engage with these people because that's my job.
2: Yep, and what we're saying very clearly is uh, sort of non-essential work, it's real easy. Send those employees home, have them work from home, uh, and and keep them out of the workforce. And then we get these these services that are uh, uh, that are what we call important services. Uh, we won't use the term essential because that's uh, there for first responders and others. But this really important work. And our charge to our leadership team has been simple: find a way to deliver this service in a new way, in a safe way. That allows us to keep uh, some of these activities uh, going. So there will be an element of our workforce that that needs to continue. There are things. Well, that, the Best that are, example
0: of that's waste disposal. I mean that has to go yeah, on. It is,
2: and and some of them are fairly straightforward. The reality is, some of these activities, um, you, you're pretty socially distancing yourself anyways, and so they can continue fairly well. The good, you know, another good example is our contractors who operate the uh... the waste transfer stations you know there's not a lot of close interaction it's not a group activity that type of thing garbage collection would fall into that category as well so i think there are some easier ones to do and even with inspections I mean, there are ways that we can do uh, screening in advance of the inspections and that we can uh, utilize uh, good practices there. So those are all of the ideas that we're working on. But there are other services where we're going to rely on the online services that uh, we already have here at the City of Hamilton. Uh, We're not going to open up desks and counters and uh, have that face-to-face interaction until we're convinced on advice of uh, health officials that it's safe to do so.
0: Paul, you talked about the skeleton staff that's working for the city right now and encouraging people uh, that, that can work at home to work at home, uh, but there's still going to have to be some people out there. Uh, but even though City Hall may be closed, uh, life goes on and business goes on. I did a couple of emails here from a couple of different folks here while you and I were having this discussion saying, well, what if something comes up? What if I need you know a city service for something? I mean, you're still answering the phone, aren't you?
2: Absolutely. Uh, online communication uh, the phone communication our customer contact center is uh, fully operational so if people aren 't getting an answer where they might normally call uh, the best the best opportunity is to uh, go through our customer contact center five four six city is the phone number and uh, they're they 're fully uh, ready to to send those inquiries to where they need to go to and at least that way people will will get an answer uh, and what i 'm asking the public to do. Is just uh, recognize that the usual turnaround time that we might have been used to two weeks ago is probably not going to be the turnaround time. But our commitment is that uh, that all of those things that need to happen so that we can keep this city going, uh, we'll do as many of those as is humanly possible. We just might be doing them in a different way. And you know, the good news is is that we've have invested a lot of money as a city into online services. And it's not just, uh, you know, paying your taxes or, or renewing a license. I mean, you can submit plans to our building department and the planning department. You can do a lot of things online. And I think that's what uh, we'll be trying to communicate to the public, at least for these next few weeks.
0: It's uh, fabulous to see the way the city has adjusted to this and pivoted to, to the needs and desires, especially since uh, we know that uh, the officials keep telling us that uh, as bad as things are right now, it's it's could get worse. I mean, we're going to see a spike in these numbers. We know that as testing st- results start to come in. I guess the most frustration that you guys are feeling right now, Paul, is you just don't know how long this is going to last.
2: No, we don't. And, and uh, you know, believe me, we've been trying to, to gather together good information to give us any sense of, of horizon. So, you know, we set a time horizon that seemed to make sense because it matched up with school closures and, and other things people were doing, which took us to, um, you know, Monday, April 6th. Uh, but I become uh, less and less convinced that that is a date that we will be simply opening everything back up. Uh, I I think we're um, we're we're unlikely to see that, but the reality is is that I don't know that. <laughs> and we well, and, and exactly uh, school officials.
0: I know the ministry made that quite clear when they made that announcement, and so did the premier just the other day uh, when he made his announcement. He said there'd be a reassessment April 6th. He didn't say everything was going to open again. And and looking at the way the numbers are right now, we see that the increase uh, national national right now. Uh, you're right. I mean, this is going to continue. This is the new normal for at least the next two or three months. I would think.
2: It is, and I think folks need to, to, uh, you know, understand that. And and just the same way we're adjusting the way we deliver services as a city, uh, people will need to to think about how they adjust their life uh, to this new reality. And we're in this really important time from a health perspective. Uh, which is that we w- what we want to do is is as I say flatten that curve. We don't want a huge spike in numbers because uh, that will overload our healthcare system and probably elongate the curve as well, so that we have a uh, probably a steady number that uh, is over a longer period of time that allows our healthcare system uh, to manage the numbers as well. And so that means that a number of these initiatives will be in place uh, likely for some time. And you know we have to adjust. And you know the last adjustment I'll talk about is the fact that we still have a functioning city government tomorrow there will be uh, a general issues committee meeting and a council meeting and, and our council will come together in a different way uh, people that are watch on online will see a very different configuration of councilors to to see that we uh, adhere to proper social distancing but they will still vote on things important things like the budget and will still move the business of the city forward so and you've seen the um, the legislature be recalled but a smaller group of people coming to Queen's Park to pass legislation. So I think the the assurance I'd like to pass on is that the really critical things that need to happen uh, continue to happen. They're just happening in different ways, and I would encourage people to do that in their own personal lives as well.
0: Paul Johnson, uh, Paul, thanks so much for the time today, and uh, please extend our gratitude to uh, all the staff that are really uh, carrying a lot of weight on their shoulders these days to get us through this. Uh, great I, stuff. I will we'll, do that for sure, Bill. Paul Johnson, thanks again, Paul, uh, who is, of course, the Director of Emergency Operations for the City of Hamilton.
3: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Uh, we talked with Labor Minister Philomena Tassi uh, about some of the new legislation and some of the assistance packages. That the prime minister talked about yesterday, but the the overarching question that a lot of us have right now is what happens if if you let's face it, there's not enough work. People are going to get laid off short periods of time. Some some may lose their jobs altogether. What kind of position are we in? I mean, what kind of compensation is available to them? Can you can you demand wages, uh, or can they just let you go and say sorry? So you know, this is an act of God. I don't know. We we don't know at this stage. Uh, which is why we are so glad that our next guest could join us. Uh, Andrew Goldberg is an associate with Leo Samfiero, of course, and you hear their show every weekend here on 900CHML. Uh, advice about uh, everything that we need to know, of course, about uh, labor laws and about compensation and uh, that sort of thing. And, uh, uh, Andrew, thank you so very much for joining us today. I know a lot of people listening today have a lot of questions. So, uh, uh, And I'm sure you guys are getting a lot of these at the office in the last 24 hours or so.
3: Oh, definitely. It's uh, As you can imagine, we're quite... Uh busy with um, COVID-related questions, certainly.
0: I, I think a lot of people probably don't have a great understanding about, uh, about what their rights are, et cetera, when it comes to employment or loss of employment in situations, maybe even at the best of times, uh, but under these very, very problematic circumstances, uh, a lot of people are being uh, you know, thrown into this breach right now and not knowing exactly what they can do. Uh, is, is it business as usual as far as the labor laws are concerned, or, or are these exceptional circumstances?
3: Well, I mean, the reality is it's quite untested in a lot of ways. We haven't had to deal with this. So the way that our legal system works is we have a common law system, and it constantly changes based on the, the environment that we live in. So quite frankly, a few of the concerns that people have will have to be tested in a court before we have any kind of great deal of certainty. We have ideas of how things are going to go based on you know, past case law and legislation, but until it's tested, there, there's no definite answer for some of the questions that people have.
0: I know that some people that are uh, with precarious employment, uh, you know, whether they be you know, workers at arenas or things like this, and, and they're worried about where their next paycheck is going to come from. And it, it's gratifying to know, Andrew, and I know you've heard these stories, that, that some people have stepped up. Uh, you know, Mark Cuban, of course, uh, who owns the, the Dallas Mavericks basketball team, has said that he's going to make sure that everybody who works in the arena gets paid, even though there aren't any events. But th- those situations are the exception. They're not the rule, are they?
3: there I would say they 're the exception, but from what we 've seen so far, we find that more companies are doing their best. I think a lot of companies are taking it upon themselves, and they realize that they they have an obligation to their employees that these are trying times and we 're actually quite impressed by you know obviously not all employers are doing what mark Cuban's doing, not all employers have the money to do what mark Cuban's doing, but there are employers that are stepping up and trying to ensure that their employees are taken care of. Or to try to find some kind of compromise where they can keep people aboard uh, and pay them while they're closed completely. Their operations are closed and not generating any revenue. But um, the important things that I, I, you know, definitely are with this new economic response plan that the government's put out. That there are, you know, methods for employees who are laid off, who are at home sick, to get money from the government, even if they typically. Weren't employees who would qualify EI in the for EI in the normal uh, sense, so like gig employees, like Uber drivers, things like that. The government's trying to put measures in place to ensure that everyone's taken care of at least to some degree. It's not going to solve all the problems, but there will be some money there for everyone, it seems.
0: I'm always amazed at, uh, I mean, it was 24 hours ago they made these announcements. I mean, we knew some of these things were coming, but uh, how you guys digest this and all of a sudden analyze it and come up with and say, yeah, this is good, this is bad when it comes to it. But from what you have seen uh, with what they talked about yesterday, Andrew, does it, How? why did they cast this net? Is it going to cover an awful lot of the people that are going to be uh, disadvantaged because of this?
3: Well, the main thing, so Typically, EI would only apply for people who are employees in the sense that they paid into EI. You know, you get your paycheck every two weeks. There's a deduction for your EI payment. If you're someone that falls into that category and you meet the qualifications for EI, then you'll get EI if you are put on a temporary layoff or your employment is terminated. But what the government's done is put additional measures in place for individuals who have not been paying into EI and would not otherwise qualify for EI. So that would include people who are sick and can't work or forced to self-isolate because they came from a high-risk country or maybe that they're home because they have a family member to take care of. Um, So, you know, right now there's an emergency care benefit, and that will provide up to $900 biweekly. I don't know how many people are going to be able to get by off $900 biweekly, But that said, it's a start, so it's better than nothing, and I'm sure things will continue to develop as time goes on.
0: A lot of folks have emailed us over the last couple of days uh, in anticipation that you were going to join us. and, and I want to throw some of those questions at you and try to get some read on this uh, yes, sure. we, we've talked about uh, you know b- unfair business practices uh, in in the best of times and in these troubling times I mean the same thing is happening we know that, as you mentioned a lot of folks have been told work out of the house if you can some have been told look at we're shutting this place down uh, so just go home and uh, you know we'll call you when we're gonna open the doors again but some services and not t- just essential services are continuing I mean my grocery store in my neighborhood is still open uh, if, if you're a cashier or a clerk there stocks shelves etc. Can you refuse to work and say I can't do this I'm putting myself in a precarious position?
3: I mean you have a right to a safe work environment so if you find that the employer is not putting measures in place to ensure that the workplace is sanitary for example if they're just letting it go. I mean I walked into my supermarket yesterday and I you know everyone's still working there and you know everyone was wiping things down everyone was cleaning um, obviously the manager or whoever from the higher ups uh, made it a directive to ensure things were very, were very sanitary. However, if you're in, for instance, small quarters and someone beside you is super ill and the employer won't agree to let them go home or something, you know, crazy like that, you would maybe theoretically have the right to refuse the work saying that this is an unsafe place to be. But that said, I mean, you have to keep in mind a lot of these people in these kind of jobs they probably need their money, you know, like real estate is expensive, everything's expensive in today's time, and EI is not going to exactly cut it for most people. Um, So I think you'd find more people than not probably wanting to keep their job because they know that, they need the paycheck during this time.
0: Well, and that, that, nice segue right into the next email I was going to refer to. Uh, somebody who works at, uh, well, I won't even mention the name, but it's a fast food chain here uh, in Canada uh, and was very concerned that a fellow employee who clearly was not healthy uh, was coming to work and uh, wondering what their rights are, what they can do. Should they go to their superior, to their, their shift supervisor or whatever? But uh, uh, your point's well taken. Uh, if you need the money, uh, even if you're not feeling well, um, I mean, how many of us have done that in the past where you say, look, i I got to suck it up here and Go in there because I've got to get the paycheck.
3: Well, and that's the problem, and that's kind of why, you know, we're, we're going to have to look to see how far these current economic measures put forward by the government are going to go. Because, you know, if we're going to take this COVID nineteen circumstance seriously, then people have to have enough money that when they do go home and they're not working, that they don't feel like, oh my god, I should be at work to get my full paycheck. I mean, the, the odds of the government putting forward a stimulus package that says, okay, everyone gets 100% of their salary and here we go, is very low. But, you know, we need to ensure some ways, continue to defer payments, uh, tax payments, whatever it might be, to keep people in a situation where they don't have to make that decision. I think that would be the most ideal. Um, But to that individual who is worried about their coworker being very sick, I would certainly raise that concern to a manager or supervisor and say, like, listen, maybe this is someone that needs to be at home. And as we currently discuss, that person can hope uh, most likely qualify for the new uh, sick benefits, which would allow them to get money so everyone will be in a good place.
0: When we're in a circumstance like this, and whether it's a fast food outlet, as I was just referring to, or the grocery store is a part of our previous conversation, where is the onus to make sure that it's a safe workplace vis-a-vis you know wiping it down whether it's Lysol wipes or I one grocery store was in the other day of course the the cashiers and the clerks all had uh, surgical gloves on which I thought was a pretty good move uh, because we all know that one of the dirtiest things we can ever handle of course is money uh, and that's that's going to be somewhat problematic but is the onus on the employee or the employer to make sure that that workplace is sanitary and ready uh, for people to go and work in
3: well the onus is ultimately on the employer Uh, there's legislation called the Occupational Health and Safety Act, which um, makes it incumbent upon an employer to ensure the workplace is safe. But that said, as an employee, if you do see certain things in the workplace that are unsafe, you do have uh, an obligation to report these things as well. You can't just sit idly by and stay quiet. If you have concerns, certainly say something.
0: What about, uh, we talked about compensation, but if you are told to go home, um, and and obviously you're sitting there and, uh, you know, your business is shut down for whatever period of time this is going to be, uh, are you still covered? Are you still, obviously you may not be getting a paycheck uh, if you're not a salaried employee, uh, but if you're getting paid by the hour, et cetera, and you're home, are you technically unemployed at that stage or are you simply on hiatus and, and are you still covered by whatever coverage you might have had but benefits-wise?
3: Well, that's a good question. I mean, if they just cut your shifts entirely, uh, that could be considered a termination. If they give you no shifts at all, then there's no reason to believe that that's not just a termination of your employment. If the employer is vocal about the fact that, you know, we're putting you on a temporary layoff and you're not going to be getting any shifts for the next uh, two months or whatever the case might be, one month, three weeks, then that's a different situation. But in a situation where employee, you know, if they were outright terminated, they'd be entitled to severance pay uh, for sure. And um, if they were put on a temporary layoff, that's a bit of a trickier situation. Um, the employer's not obligated to pay the employee while they're on the temporary layoff. but They could be covered theoretically by a short-term disability plan through the company's benefits package. So that's something all employees should definitely look into. I, I, uh, for sure, if they are put on a temporary layoff,
0: which is, uh, I guess, uh, I know that's the advice that you guys give on the show on the weekends a, a lot of the time too, is is have that conversation uh, and understand exactly what policies are in place right now uh, before you get that uh, the conversation where the boss says, "Look, at uh, we're we're packing up here, you guys to go home," so you understand yeah. exactly where you are and where you stand at, uh, because you're you're right. This is probably going to, I would think, vary uh, from from company to company as to what may be covered and what may not be covered.
3: Well, yeah, and and to clarify my last point, if you were put on a temporary layoff and you weren't sick, you would not qualify for short-term disability benefits. It would only be if you were sick and you were forced not to work uh, due to your illness that you might qualify. The temporary layoff situation is very unique because an employer has to have the right to place an employee on a temporary layoff. They have to have a contractual right, or they have to have an implied right. Maybe they've laid you off three times in the last five years, Therefore, they say, well, now we have the right to do it. But a lot of employers don't have the right, the contractual right, to tempor- temporarily lay off their employees. And in that circumstances, the courts would deem that as a termination, and that individual would be entitled to severance pay, just like if you were terminated in the normal course. But because these temporary layoffs are due to you know, something that's entirely unforeseen in a lot of situations. The government is mandating that these businesses close. That's something that is yet to really play out in our legal system, what the impact that is going to be. So we're, we're curious ourselves. We have some ideas. We, and we'll continue to push matters forward. So if people have any concerns and they want to give us a call, by all means, they should. Uh, We're operating as usual and, and very busy. So, any listeners that have concerns, I'd I'd highly recommend that they call us.
0: Yeah, because there there are some gray areas, because I know even after we watched the uh, the finance minister and the prime minister yesterday, uh, I got a number of uh, questions from our listeners saying, "Well, what about that? You know, the government told my best restaurant to close. Uh, you know, is whose fault is that? I mean, who do I go after if I I don't have any money all of a sudden? Is it my employer? Is it the government? Because they're the ones that instituted this. Uh, we don't really have a clear picture there, do we?
3: No, I mean that's it's such a tricky thing because it's it's such uncharted waters. Um so we're curious I mean we have ideas and we're going to push matters in a certain way. I, I think the more practical reality though is if you have a small re- you know the employer ultimately has the onus um, if they if they're laying people off, but I mean the question is can the employer defer that onus to the government by saying well this was completely outside of our control, right? Um So that'll be curious. I mean, but but all things considered, if you're a small restaurant and you're forced to close your doors, like as an employee, even if you had legal recourse, if that employer doesn't have any money anymore because there's no cash flow and it's not like in the best of days they were making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars anyway, you know, that employer, you know, the two owners of the company or the restaurant or what have you, they're they're struggling as well, right? So it's a very difficult time right now.
0: Uh, If you have questions, and I'm sure many people do, uh, Andrew's advice I think is well taken here. Uh, You get a hold of them, Lior Sanfuro, LLP, uh, and uh, they're in the book. Of course, you can look them up and you can hear them every weekend here on 900CHML. Andrew, in a very uh, very troubling and and quizzical time, it's always great to get some sage advice from uh, you and your firm. Thanks so much for this today.
3: Oh, no, no, not a problem. Thanks for having me on. Take care.
0: Andrew Goldberg, of course, from uh, Leo Sanfuro. The
3: Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is
0: available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML.